Good morning, good morning. Uh, thanks, band. You sounded amazing and just uh, just helping us just tune in to what the Lord's doing here and just love those guys so much. Uh, so my name is Phil. I'm one of the elders here at Living Hope. Uh, and so this week and next week, I get the wonderful privilege of teaching you guys uh, from the Bible um, on behalf of just our church and Josh Cosby. Josh is our normal teaching pastor, but he's taking two weeks off to just rest. He's been, he just works so hard for us, and I love that we get to give him some time off. So in general, right now, uh, it's such an exciting season for our church. We're about a year and a half, something like that, into our merger here with Sherwood. Uh, and I think we're all beginning to get this sense that the Lord is doing amazing things right now and just wants to keep that going, that He wants to push us into amazing things that will bless the city around us. We've been rolling out and starting to begin to think through something that we're calling the five-year plan. And if you're new here, all that really is is us putting some legs and actions into a verse out of Acts 2, uh, which basically talks about the promises of the Lord being for us and for our children and for everyone else that doesn't know Him. And so this summer for our community groups, rather than being scattered around throughout uh, the city, we gathered here together in the fellowship hall, um, and we went through just several aspects of training and just some prep time, kind of getting us ready for this five-year plan and everything that the Lord has for us. And coming out of that last community group, I just felt like the room was just so excited about what's going to be happening. Everyone I talked to, I felt like if Josh would have been like, let's get out there, we just would have stormed out into the streets. It was awesome. Uh, And during one of those nights of community group, we, we, um, Josh talked about uh, the, a subway train and riding on these tracks, so the rails of the subway, and how um, the church would be the, the train riding, and we'd be riding on these two tracks, and there is a third track that is filled with electricity in a subway. And this third track is the electricity, it's the power, it's what makes uh, the, track, the train go on the tracks. And so this leads me to exactly what I want to talk about today, to just follow up with what we talked about in community groups a little bit, and talk about, uh, and to do a two-week series on the Holy Spirit. Because just like this analogy with the subway riding on these tracks, we have to have this third track. We have to have the power and electricity of the Spirit moving in and among us, because if not, we'll never go anywhere or do anything. If the power does not ignite the train, the train will just sit there and not do anyone any good. So I'm guessing that potentially when I said I'm going to spend two weeks in the Holy Spirit that uh, maybe you, some of you kind of tensed up a little bit. Uh, it can tend to be a controversial issue. You know, whether on the really charismatic end or on the, the conservative end, it, it doesn't matter. There can be just a lot of controversy within this. But this is not going to be a series where we're picking fights. We're not trying to choose hard stances or draw hard lines or anything like that. We're just going to spend some time going through the Bible just to see how the Holy Spirit was active throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so this week uh, is going to be uh, an overview of the Holy Spirit's activity and presence through the Old Testament. And then next week we're going to move into the Holy Spirit's presence and activity into the New Testament. Um, And in general, I know that there is a a lot of mystery involved with the Holy Spirit, uh, but I think that that's a good thing. If we could completely wrap our minds around him and put him into this box that we fully grasp, then I don't think that that he would be a God worth following and serving. So we do know, though, that there are very specific things that the Scripture has given us to know who the Spirit is. We have very specific words used to describe him, 
And then we see very specific ways that the Holy Spirit interacts with his people. And so that's kind of how we're going to break this down. We're going to spend the front part looking at the words used to describe the Spirit. And then we're going to move into um, some of his actions and activity involved with humans. Okay, so uh, fair warning, this first part, as we start looking into some of the words, uh, we're going to nerd out just for a little bit. It's just going to be for a few minutes. Uh, If you hate it, just fall asleep and your neighbor will wake you up in just a second. No big deal. Okay, so as we're looking through the Old Testament, anytime we see the word spirit, uh, it's this Hebrew word, and the word is ruach. It's the word ruach. But if we were to look up this word, we would see three English words used to describe this one word. And those three words are breath, wind, and spirit. So we're going to be going through looking at different scriptures of each one of these things to try and get a grasp of what these words are all trying to show us. And just, I'm going to be going through lots of scripture, so don't worry about having to follow along and turn the pages in your Bible if you don't want to. You can if you want, but it's going to be on the screen, and so you're more than welcome to just follow along up there. Okay, so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2 with the first usage of this word, ruach, in regards to breath. Okay, so in Genesis chapter 2, we see this is when God made Adam. Starting verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the ruach, and the man became a living creature. Okay, so again, when it says breath of life, the one word used for that phrase would have been the word ruach. Okay, uh, please humor me just for a second. I heard a pastor do this, and I love this. Uh, you don't have to, but I would love it if everyone would just take their hand, put it over your mouth, and say the word hello. Yes, you all did it. That's awesome. Uh, maybe you noticed some coffee breath. The room got a little stinkier. No big deal. Uh, so in general, we know that the thing that we just felt would be our breath, which is oxygen and air that's good for our blood, you know, all that sort of good stuff. But even more basic than that, we can see that when we breathe in and out and our lungs, they expand, the stuff that's in there, based on this verse in Genesis, would be our breath of life. So if we cease to have this breath of life, then we would cease to live. So when God made Adam from the dust, it says that he was fully formed, but he was not alive until God breathed Ruach into him. So in the scriptures, from this verse and tons of others just like it, we're seeing a connection between me being alive and having physical breath to God being the one who gives me that life and that physical breath. Okay, so let's move on to the second word used to describe this word ruach. So that was just breath. Now we're going to move to the second one. And this is the word wind. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 8. And this is when Noah and his family were still in the ark uh, after the flood. Okay, verse 1. It says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind, a ruach, blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. Let's read another passage in Exodus 14. This is when God was helping the Israelites to escape across uh, and over the Red Sea. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind, a ruach, all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Okay, so... This is all tying into the Holy Spirit. So the words used to ultimately describe the Holy Spirit 
if we're thinking like the, the early Jews, we're seeing the Holy Spirit as the one that gives me my physical life and my breath. And it's also the same word to say that God, through the Holy Spirit, has control and power over nature. Okay, so we're going to look at this last word for ruach, and then we'll try and tie it all together. So the last word in English that we use for ruach uh, is our word spirit, but kind of in the context of our mind and our thoughts. Uh, Let me show you what I mean in Psalm 32. It said, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit, so in whose ruach or mind, there is no deceit. So deceit or telling a lie, um, it isn't something you breathe, right? But instead, it's something you think. So I can have these thoughts, and these thoughts will then produce actions. I can think to show love, and then I can show love. Or I can think hate, and then show hateful actions. I can't touch uh, my thoughts like I can touch wind or feel my breath. But you can feel the effects of our thoughts through our actions. So we know that we have a mind and we think these thoughts. And they also knew that God had a mind and that he was thinking his own thoughts. Okay, so let's look at one more verse. Psalm 51. This is uh, David speaking after uh, his ordeal with Bathsheba. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, a right ruach or mind within me. So again, we're seeing that spirit or ruach is about mindset and purpose. It's about kind of our will, that we have our own mind and thoughts and intent, and so does the Holy Spirit. And so the ma- one of the most basic ways that we can think about the Holy Spirit is to say that He is the way that God's will and mind interact with our will and our mind. So what David was saying is that he wanted God's thoughts to influence his thoughts. Okay, so what does breath and wind and spirit, what do these all have in common? Uh, So if we were to hold all of these words, breath, wind, and spirit together, uh, we could say that all three of these things are invisible forces that cause very real effects. Okay, so breath, wind, and spirit Invisible forces that cause very real effects. So to the Hebrew authors writing the Bible, they could feel their breath. They could see their lungs moving up and down. They could look outside and they could see the trees blowing uh, in the wind. And they could make a connection to God by saying that even though God is in another place, as in he's not physically walking around here like he was in the garden, that through the Holy Spirit, He is still the one who is ultimately in control of keeping me alive and also all of nature around me. And then we see in that last one that the Holy Spirit is the way that uh, God not only acts with me, interacts with me on a physical level of keeping me alive, but that God's mind through the Spirit can interact with my mind. So what David was saying, he said, God, if I'm living from my own thoughts, from my own ruach, then it's leading towards bad things. So I don't want to do that. God, I want to live with your mind, your purpose, your will. And again, this is only through the Holy Spirit. Okay, we made it through the nerd out section. Everybody with me? No one's asleep? Okay. 
Okay, so now we're going to get into some of the fun stuff. We're going to start looking at the actions that we see the Holy Spirit doing, but we're going to keep pulling these same words into it. Okay, so over the first main way uh, that we see the Holy Spirit active and present in the Old Testament is to go all the way back to the very beginning and look at creation. Okay, so Genesis 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, we're going to read these. It says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then the story just continues on, and all the things were created. So I know that we've heard this story a ton of times, but I know for me, I tend to skip over that first part where it talks about the Spirit hovering over the waters and all this kind of stuff. And I, I just skip normally into the things that were actually made. But since this is a sermon on the Holy Spirit, let's focus on what the Holy Spirit was doing. So we see in verse 1 that God created the earth, but then it says that the earth was without form and void. So the Hebrew words uh, literally would have translated to uh, waste and wild which means that we're supposed to see the earth in that moment as chaotic and an uninhabitable place. And then it was covered by darkness. Sounds awesome. But then we see that the Spirit of God was hovering over it all, holding it all together. Okay, so what are we supposed to learn from those first two verses? And seeing that the earth was a wild and uninhabitable place in the beginning. So I think it's meant to show us what God really wanted to say through creation. That it's not just about God taking nothing and then poof, we have everything that we see. I think it's here for us to see that uh, what God is really, really good at is taking something that's in its true essence, uh, that's darkness and disorder, something that had no life in it, and then him imparting himself into it through the Holy Spirit to make something that is filled with beauty and order and purpose and meaning ultimately leading up to man and him being with him in the garden. And so we see uh, in verse 3 that God spoke. And that's when the thing started to change. So a minute ago, we breathed into our hands, uh, and we talked about this breath of life that we could feel it on our hands. And then we talk about it being a physical force that does something. And so this starts to come together when, uh, when God said something in verse 3. And I don't think that, I mean, he's God. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. I don't think he had to speak it into existence. But I think what, what he's doing here is he's showing us that by him speaking things into existence, it's him sending his breath, the Holy Spirit of God, into what would ultimately become our life along with every single thing around us. That his spirit is how everything came about. So in the very beginning, right from the jump, right in the very beginning of the Bible, I think we're seeing a picture of God's heart for us. That the Father and the, and the Son and the Spirit are at their core all about creating life and order and beauty out of chaos and disorder in very f- real and physical ways. And we see the same thing playing out through the rest of Scripture. We know that really quickly uh, in the story following this that we have the fall of man where sin entered the world and everything was broken by sin. 
And then God spends the rest of the Bible and even up into now in these moments taking these broken things and putting them back together in the way that he intended for them to be. Because that's what he's the best at and that's where his heart is. I love the, this creation account because for, from the very beginning, again, we're just getting to see who God is and what he's really about. That we were intended to live this life of communion with him here. But literally through Jesus and the Son, uh, I mean, through, in the Holy Spirit, that the Father is doing everything he can to not just tell us, but to show us that our broken pieces don't stop him from loving us and that he's always here with us working to right the wrongs in the world. Okay, so we're going to keep going on to see uh, the Spirit's actions and activity throughout the Old, the Old Testament. We're going to look at uh, some examples of him empowering the people of God. Okay, so the first uh, example of him empowering someone, a person, we're going to look at today is with Joseph and him interpreting the dreams from Pharaoh. So a uh, quick recap of this story. Pharaoh had this crazy dream. No one could interpret it. None of his guys around him, the guys that were supposed to be able to do that kind of stuff, uh, they, they couldn't do it. So Pharaoh's cupbearer remembered that Jacob had actually uh, interpreted a dream, uh, Joseph had interpreted a dream for him in the past. So they, they go get Joseph, bring him in here, he interprets the dream. But I want to read a couple of uh, lines from Genesis that, um, that go through the story. So in Genesis 41, it says, Joseph answered Pharaoh... He said, it is not in me that God, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Joseph starts out by saying, this isn't going to come from me, but we're going we're gonna, to um, interpret this. And then he does. He interprets the dream. And we pick back up. It says, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit, the ruach, the mind of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Okay, so here we're seeing that God, through the Holy Spirit, gave Joseph thoughts that were not his own to help him in time of need. The Holy Spirit knows and understands so much more clearly the things than we do. And so we can ask the Holy Spirit to empower our minds and to give us insight in how we should live and how we should act. And we can keep tying this back uh, to who he is as a creator. That again, God sees all the moving parts and all the broken pieces in the world all around us. And he sends his spirit to help us understand how to bring order and understanding right from disorder and confusion. So that's what he does. He takes something that is not from him and then God through his people can, makes it, can help us to make it look like him. Okay, so this is an example of the Holy Spirit empowering the mind of a person. We're going to look at another spirit-filled man. It's a guy named Bezalel. Uh, so Bezalel and the guys that worked for him, uh, they were in charge of making all of the things for the tent of meeting in the Old Testament. This is where Moses interacted with God. Um, they made all its furnishings, chairs, tables, stuff like that. They made the utensils. They made the clothes for the priest. Uh, they made the Ark of the Covenant. It's pretty cool. Uh, just all kinds of really cool stuff. And so we, we're going to read about this in Exodus 31. It says, The Lord God said to Moses, See, I have called by my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, 
And I have filled with, and I have filled him with the spirit, the ruach, the mind of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. Okay, so this is all about having uh, the Spirit's creative help in basically everything that we do. I believe that this connects directly into our work and our hobbies today, whether it's work to make money or the work of raising your kids. Um, this also plays into playing an instrument or building things with your hands or playing on a sports team, uh, really just doing all sorts of things that we actually are doing. That through all those things, that God's divine Ruach wants to empower us to make things that are beautiful. And through the creative power of the Holy Spirit, we are given the ability to understand and perceive with our minds the ability to know how to physically bring order and intent and beauty and meaning to so many different things around us. And so you could play this out into so many different situations and areas that you're involved in with life. So again, this is the Spirit empowering people with His Spirit of creativity. We're going to look at another way. Uh, This is with the Holy Spirit uh, being active and present among prophets and leaders in the Old Testament. This is going to come from Micah chapter 3. As God is using Micah to stand in the gap for people on His behalf. And we're going to, let me just read it really quick, sorry. It says, for, but as for me, I am filled with the power of the Lord, with the spirit, with the ruach of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So in this time, it was a time that the Israelites had walked away from the Lord and their leaders were abusing their positions. They were taking advantage of the people. They were physically oppressing them. They were leading them astray spiritually. And so what we just read uh, in Micah is God's response to all those oppressive things that the leaders were doing. It's his response through Micah. Okay, so let's break this down just a little bit. When it says, I have been filled with power. We're going to think about the words that we talked about earlier. He's saying that I have been filled with this invisible force. It's the same thing that moves the trees, that animates my lungs, and that causes actions among men. But that this is not from me. He said it's the direct presence of God within me. And why did God do this for him? Why did God give him that? It says here that it's for justice and might to stand up and to speak to those that were oppressing God's people. And by him speaking to the people that were oppressing God's people, he was also speaking to uh, the people that were being oppressed. They were also hearing God's heart for them as well. So what's happening here was that the Creator God, through the Holy Spirit, was empowering the language and actions of men. He's doing this to right the wrongs and the things that were happening around him. That through their words and their actions, they were showing that God doesn't stand for abuse. That through their words and their actions, that God doesn't stand for oppression. And through their words and their actions, that God doesn't stand for worshiping false idols that lead people into sin and to death and things that are just not from him. The Spirit of God was helping Micah and the prophets to pull the, um, the weeds out of God's garden. 
So when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, really, I mean, about, about every single one of us, but specifically those of us who are social workers, those of us who are counselors or attorneys, teachers, parents, that we as Christians have the opportunity through the Holy Spirit to stand in the gap between right and wrong on behalf of God. Prophets are basically people that just say out loud the things that God wants the people to know. So through the Spirit's empowering, we get to physically see uh, and share in the kingdom of God and show that uh, the kingdom of God is for everyone, and we get to do this on God's behalf. Okay, so we're going to look at one final example of the Spirit interacting with people in the Old Testament. And here in this situation, it's, uh, he's empowering them with strength to move forward in courage by reminding them he's always been with them, that he's never left them despite what their situation may tell them. Okay, so it's, in the, it's going to be in the books of Haggai and Zechariah. Uh, it's really the same story, just kind of broken up into two books. Uh, at this point, it's uh, when God's people had returned from their uh, exile and, uh, and God wanted them to rebuild the temple. And so they had stopped rebuilding the temple because they were facing some oppression from some people around them. So in Haggai chapter 2, here's what it says. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. For I am with you, declares the Lord. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit, my ruach, my symbol of life, I've remained present in your midst. So fear not. And then in Zechariah, it says, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. And it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, by my ruach, by my power and my presence, says the Lord, that you'll be able to move on and to do these things. So again, at this point that God has, he's brought them out of two periods of captivity. And here he is reminding them through the Holy Spirit that he's never left them, that he's still with them. Like he said he was going to be hundreds of years ago. And that they have no reason to fear what man can do to them because they have the very power that brought the world into creation dwelling among them, strengthening them with courage to complete the tasks that were set before them. And so we could just keep doing this. We could spend hours just going through story after story after story looking to see the Holy Spirit's activity in the people of God because He was always present and He was always active among his people. Because before we uh, move into the last section, I want to recap everything we talked about really quick. So we started by looking at the Hebrew word ruach, and then it was used to describe the Holy Spirit. And so what we translated it to is that into three words, breath, wind, and spirit. And then all of those words were representing an invisible force that caused real and physical results. And then we see that the Spirit of God was sent literally to bring life and order and light out of chaos and disorder and darkness. That He gives wisdom and insight. That the Spirit gives us words and actions to stand up on behalf of people. That He gives us the ability to create beautiful things. And finally, He reminds His people that they don't have to live lives of fear and stress 
but that they can complete the task set before them with courage because the Spirit of God has always been with them. So these stories that we've looked at and all the other ones in the Old Testament were specific moments for specific reasons. And we know that the Old Testament was always pointing towards the future when the Spirit would eventually come through Jesus to dwell in us, not just among us and not just in some specific people, but he would dwell in among all of those who believed in him. So now I just want to close by reading uh, some big chunks out of Ezekiel 36 and 37. We're going to see these beautiful combinations of all the words that we just talked about. All of these words are used to describe the Holy Spirit and his actions, but this time and in this story, it's pointing towards the thing that we ultimately need in. Okay, so I'm going to read in uh, chapter 36. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit, a new ruach, I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then 37, starting in chapter, verse 1. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold... There were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath, ruach, to enter you, and you shall live And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come up upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord 
I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. And so we see that through all of these things, that the Spirit was working to send his power among them to give them life, but what we ultimately needed was to be recreated from the inside out, that we could never keep going the way that we were. To our core, we were dead on the inside without hope. But Jesus came to bring us the Spirit that would completely recreate us. That we would not just have the Spirit among some of us, but in all of us who believed. And now we see that as Christians, we can also be empowered by Him to join Him in bringing healing and reconciliation to the world around us. No matter what kind of baggage we've had from just past um, this past interactions and talks about the Holy Spirit, hopefully we're seeing that going back to the very beginning, we're seeing who the Holy Spirit is and that He's just showing us God's heart. That He is for us and that He wants to take the things in us, the things around this world that are broken, and He wants to make them right. The band, you can go ahead and come on up. You know, we, we talked a little bit about the five-year plan kind of thing in the beginning. And this isn't just, talking about the Holy Spirit isn't just for the five-year plan. We talk about the Holy Spirit because he's, as Christians, he's with us every single day. And if we're going to live lives that look like Jesus, then that we need to know who the Holy Spirit is and that he wants to have a relationship with us. We kind of talked about the mystery of it all and um, we can't, and we talked about how we can't put, a, put him in a box and fully understand every single aspect of, about him. Knowing the Holy Spirit isn't a formula. You do X, Y, and Z, and then boom, he's there to do exactly what you told him to do kind of thing. The Spirit of God is a person, and we're going to get into the specifics of this maybe, maybe next week, maybe. And we're going to see that it's a relationship that we can actually know God by seeing the words come alive to us through the scriptures. That we can know that he is with us and that he wants to be with us every single day, guiding us and helping us to live our lives, but also so that this church can help the city around us. So that we're powered as people sent out to those in our neighborhoods and the people near where we live, and that also we can be an impact to this community around us. And so that if we're not paying attention to who the Holy Spirit is, then we're like that train sitting on a track and the doors will just keep opening and closing and people will keep coming in and out, but we're never going to do anything if we're not pointing towards the Lord through His Spirit. It'll just come from us. So we're going to respond the way we always do. We're going to have uh, these communion stations on both sides and the people will be saying uh, the body of Christ for you the blood of Christ poured out for you. Uh, fair warning, we do not have gluten-free bread today. Uh, we're out, so just saying that. We're also going to have the tithing and giving stations on either side where you can respond to the Lord by, um, by giving your money. And then the steps are always open for you to come and pray by yourself or you can bring someone with you to pray with you. There's nothing magical about coming to pray down here, but sometimes it helps us to stand up and to just walk and, and to respond to the things that the Lord's doing in us. We're going to have staff and some elders here at, at the front who want to pray with you about anything. It doesn't matter how big or how small. We just want to let you know that uh, ultimately the Lord loves you and that he's with you and that he's for you. 
helping you to right the things that are wrong in the world around us. Pray with me. Spirit, we thank you so much for coming, for creating the world, but not just something out of nothing. You did that. But what you really are showing us is that you're taking things that are dark and chaotic and that you are breathing life into them, that you are breathing light into things. And that everywhere we go, we can be reminded that you are with us. That simply by taking a deep breath, we can be reminded that you are the one that give us our life. But Spirit, through just breathing, we can know that you are with us. And that you are for us. And that we don't have to walk through life alone. That you are interacting with the people around us to show us who you are. And that you are empowering us to change the world, to create a society of people that love you, and to show that you have a plan for all of creation, that you are not for oppression and abuse and neglect, but that you are for beauty, and that you are for wholeness and peace, wholeness and peace with you. And we love you, and we thank you for that. I pray that you would help us to not go through our life just living it on our own. But that we would look to see you and your involvement with us. And that we would respond every single day to the goodness that you were pouring out on us over and over and over again. That we would be a people that respond to you publicly. Because when you give us gifts, these gifts look like you because they're from you. And they are to show the world that you love us and that you are for them. So we pray all these things in your name. Amen.